Here's an idea. What if, and this is terribly stupid, we're, we would have to record episodes weeks in advance, I think. Okay. Or maybe we could do two episodes a week, you know, uh, every other week. Okay. Yeah. But only post one a week, right? Right, right. But here's the idea. Instead of having a theme song for the podcast, mm-hmm. every episode we cover... 30 seconds of one of the songs on the record. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Right? Yeah. I think it's a great idea. We can split up the instruments however we want. Yeah. And there you go. What do you think about that idea? I love that idea. I think that's a great idea. Fuck yeah. Fuck you in the morning Hello and welcome to episode one of Golden Shower of Hits. Today, Jamie and Mike will discuss Leonard Cohen's debut album, The Songs of Leonard Cohen, released in 1967. It's an amazing album full of great songs and one of his best records. Now let's see what these assholes have to say about it. This is good, this is bad, when we're done, you'll be mad. Go down the pit, go down the pit, go down the pit, go down the pit. You know, it's funny, before we um, started the podcast today, I was listening to the record that we're going to review, and Leonard has like a weird, it's it's almost like his vocal melody in every song is the same pattern. And so I was telling, I was explaining to my wife that I'm podcasting to Mike today, but in that uh, like speech pattern, she's like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, it's Leonard Cohen, come on. <laughs> You're like... I'm only going to talk to Mike like this, monotone. And end on a low note. God, I can't even get that low. It's crazy. Let's talk about this record. Songs of Leonard Cohen. So I I got this record. I don't remember if it was gifted to me by like one of my fucking clove cigarette smoking 90s girlfriends or... <laughs> You know, that went to like eight weeks of community college and thought they were intellectual or thought they were New York or whatever. You know, can I go off on a tangent? Yeah, go for it. Go off on a tangent right off the bat. I'm a 25-year smoker or was a 25-year smoker. I loved smoking so much so that I actually had a bet with a friend. He bet me that I couldn't swim across the Mississippi River. And uh, this is John, of course. And uh, <laughs> so I was going to swim across the Mississippi and I wrote a letter to Camel trying to get them to sponsor me. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, if you can get a two pack a day smoker to swim across the Mississippi, like that's that's good promotion, you know, for your product. And uh, obviously they um, they wrote me back and they said, oh, God, I wish I, I'll have to dig around for the letter. But, um, uh, there was some other idea. Oh, oh, that's right. I floated another idea, um, to them about, 
<laughs> I floated another idea about how I could go back to high school a la 21 Jump Street, but my whole thing would be I would try to get kids to start smoking, right? <laughs> Wait, can we back up for a second? Sure. What the fuck? What kind of a friend bets that you can't swim across a Mississippi? Because if you start and you're like halfway or three quarters of the way and you can't. Right. You're dead. Well, this was before um, uh, Jeff Buckley drowned. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, so John was, the plan was for me to have a life jacket on and be tethered to a rowboat that John would be rowing across <laughs> Spitting with on you from. <laughs> so, yeah. So I could, so if I did, you know, start to drown in theory, I could pull him down with me. Um, I have this other idea. Yeah. Here it is. In every episode, maybe, maybe immediately following the cover song intro, because mm-hmm. it would be a short. We wouldn't do the whole song. That, that'd be that'd take up too much of our precious time. That's a lot of shit. But either we have John give a like a one minute fucking diatribe on the record, <laughs> right? Like a special correspondence. That is the intro to our discussion about it. Or we phone him in and. He doesn't even know that we're going to call him. And we just say, hey, what do you think about this album? <laughs> just let him go for 30 seconds and hang up on him. Oh, that's episode. brilliant. I like that idea. Great. The, so the, the thing about swimming across the river, uh, the, the letter that I got back from um, Philip, Philip Morris or whoever, whoever <laughs> makes Camel. Mr. Morris. Yeah. They, they're like, we don't sponsor athletes. Is that right? That was it. No mention of me, no mention of me trying to get underage kids to start smoking. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, take that for what it is. Did they sponsor any? Well, they spot, you know what? They sponsor like race cars. They sponsor like NASCAR. Right, right. So apparently, those people aren't athletes. Um, (laughs) So we can put that idea to bed because Camel Cigarettes doesn't consider the race car drivers athletes. Uh, oh, but my point was, um, you know, so I was a hardcore smoker, loved smoking. Oh, fuck. Like even now when I'm walking down the street and I smell smoke, I'm just like, oh God, you lucky bastard. You still get to smoke, you know? Um, but even back then I fucking, I I was never happier than when, uh, Congress, I think it was Congress, uh, outlawed clove cigarettes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh. Did they really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because, um, I think it's cause clove cigarettes were flavored and they saw that as, uh, you know, trying to rope in kids to get addicted to smoking. What about menthol? Well, you know, obviously the government's not going to do that because I mean, let's face it, this is America. Uh, most menthol cigarettes are smoked by black people and the government fucking hates black people. So I love that Obama smoked. Yeah. Oh, me too. (laughs) Just sneaking off to have a cigarette in the middle of a fucking, (laughs) he's just like, this shit has got me stressed out. I gotta have a smoke. All right. We got about 90 seconds till we get uh, Osama bin Laden. Let me, (laughs) let me duck out on the porch real quick. Call me in when it's ready. Hold on. I gotta go fire one up. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Totally, like, like, oh, wouldn't you, like, after you got Osama Bin Laden, you wouldn't fucking go out and have a smoke? Yeah. Yeah. That's like the greatest American nut. 
Right. Yeah, totally. So anyways, uh, Leonard Cohen and Clove Cigarette Girlfriend gave you this record. I think so. Or I, yeah. you know, or I sense. got it at a thrift store or something like that. Yeah. Um, it was probably one of the Clove Cigarette Girls, though. That's a way more likely scenario. And so I fucking, I couldn't get it. It was one of those things that as a rural kid growing up listening to ACDC and Guns N' Roses and Bad Company and this kind of stuff and eventually yeah. getting into like heavier stuff um you know some things I could I I could grasp and get into very easily you know uh I understood Michael Hedges I understood or at least enjoyed Miles Davis but this was an album that I had a really hard time enjoying and i think it's be it's his voice i think that's what it was i it doesn't bother me so much anymore although you know what i miss in his music in this album hmm. is i miss i miss garfunkel i mean, I mean <laughs> just like without the harmonies it really is like just it really lays his voice out there right. and it's beautiful in its own way but mostly it's not beautiful to me. His words are great, but mostly his voice, you know. Yeah. I think that, you know, as his as he got older, his voice got lower and uh which was way better, I think. Right. Uh you know, typically when singers get older, like David Lee Roth, Paul Stanley, uh it starts to get real bad. But, you know, in 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 the crooner kind of sense i think Paul still got it pretty good paul yeah oh dude he's still pretty good man come on he's like <laughs> 70 i love paul he is an amazing amazing front man a fantastic guitar player a great songwriter uh, and was an amazing singer but his voice has been blown out for at least 10 years like hard like hardcore blown out I love that we're reviewing Leonard Cohen and somehow we've figured out how to work Kiss into Oh, this. of course. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Just like to Gene and Paul, Kiss uh, is the center of my universe too. So. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, Paul's voice has been really blown out for 10 years or so. There, There's some really, really bad clips of him on, on YouTube. And, you know, when I heard they were lip syncing on the last tour, I was like, Ah, you know what? I get it. Like, it's fine. I was okay with that. What I wasn't fine with was, was them, uh, miming, uh, the instrument playing, but you know, it is what it is. Was that happening? Oh yeah. I don't really. Yeah. No, I watched a video of, um, them playing live on the last tour and you can see, you can hear Gene playing bass notes and his plucking hand is nowhere near the bass. <laughs> so it's like oh okay so, that sucks i mean they're wearing a ton of gear yeah i'm sure it's hot as fuck up there i mean in the stands it's hot when the right. fireballs go off can you imagine how hot it is on stage and in those dudes summer. are in their 70s yeah i mean right. come on those guys gotta be it's gotta be miserable up there so you know who still got it glenn hughes i don't know who that is he was in deep purple Ugh, let's not talk about Deep Purple. 
All right, let's move on. Let's talk about this fucking record. I have so I have a real love hate thing with this record. I I, I do underst- I do love the poetry of his lyrics. I, I will say that mm-hmm. very much so. I think that uh, "Hey, that's no way to say goodbye" is my favorite track on here. It's a it seems like a I'm into it. I read, you know, because I don't know shit about Leonard Cohen, except that he looks like a real serious dick on the album cover. Right. That's one of my notes is uh, is a cover art. Don't smile. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> what. Hey, whatever you do, just yeah. do not look pleasant. You know, I, in looking at the um, photograph, it's it's kind of like one of those old timey photos that you get at a carnival where you dress up as like a <laughs> person, you know. And so you dress I, up as an eighteen hundred school, teacher. right, right, right. So I kind of feel like in in looking at this photo that you know, and and back in those photos they never smiled, but it's because they had to leave the aperture open for so long or whatever to actually right. take the photo that you shouldn't smile. So right. I'm kind of wondering if that's uh, when this photo was taken, nineteen sixty seven. Is that right? Uh, that's when the record came out. So, how old was he? I wonder. He was like, he was old enough to know. That was in 1967. It says here on his yeah. wiki page he was born in 34. He was in his 30s. Yeah, he was 33 when his first record came out, which I thought was interesting. You know, you look at his Wikipedia page and it talks about he was a novelist and a poet, and then at 33 put out his first record, which makes me feel like he was a failed novelist and poet and decided to be like, ah, fine, I'll put out a record. You know, like this was his third choice of, of things to do, you know? Hey, nothing. He certainly did all right with the music thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you look at the wiki page for this album... It says that he didn't like this album, and I I understand why. And that maybe sounds pretentious or dumb, but here's why: uh, the orchestration that's on it. Uh, it's on his wiki page. It says that when he heard the record, he was super pissed because there was all this orchestration on it, which right. leads me to believe he went in, played his acoustic guitar bits, sang. And bailed. And then the yeah. producer was like, all right, let's get fucking Joe Schmuckatelli and every other person in here to do their la-las and put some horns. Right. That's one thing. There's there's a couple songs that have horns on them, and I'm not into it. I do like the, the background vocals in, uh, in So Long. That's I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, the the orchestration doesn't feel natural on there. Doesn't feel natural in a in a everyone in a room kind of way. It doesn't feel natural in a Beatles kind of way and right. or a Beach Boys kind of way. I can definitely see where um, you know that it, it feels like that stuff was smacked on at the end. Um, you know, and, and to kind of touch on "So Long, Marianne." That's the only song that, you know, a lot of 60s songs sound like 60s songs. And to right. me, that's the only, the background vocals on that song is what makes, is the, is the only thing that makes this record sound like a 60s record. You know what I mean? It's right. just got that kind of background vocal feel, um, kind of like a mama and papa, uh, mama's, mama and papa's. <laughs> mama's and papa's? Yeah, the, the mama's and papa's uh, feel. And um, I noticed that So Long, Marianne's the only song, or at least the first song with drums on it. Right. And um, 
Which apparently really pissed him off. <laughs> right. Yeah, just a bad, loose snare played with brushes. Yeah. Yeah, not, not great. Here's the other funny thing about the instrumentation. There's like some Jesus Christ superstar bass on some songs where it's like really, you know what I'm talking about, right? I know exactly what you're talking about. Some bass that's like really moving and grooving. Yeah, yeah. Even on So Long, Marianne, uh, one of my notes is there's some bass on this song that sounds really bad towards the end, like bad notes and some missed notes. So yeah, just totally smacked on the end. Uh, or after, I mean, you know, after the process was, was done. But here's the funny thing about it. Now, I listened to this record. I must have listened to this record 50 times this week. Yeah. On headphones well, as I was working. So. <laughs> I know where this is going. I'm listening to the music, but, and, you know, it just was on loop. It was on right. loop. And sometimes I would hear it and it would be. It would be, I thought this, I would think to myself, this is the most pleasant thing in the whole world. But other times I'd listen and I would think to myself, this sounds like a steaming pile of shit. Like who okayed that shitty fucking hair baseline? Who, I mean, who okayed the fucking weird guitar line that comes in that sounds like the precursor to U2 before, you know, without delay, where it just goes ding, 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 ding for right. one bar. Like, it's such weird orchestration for the sake of orchestration. And I think that it's because of those things. I understand. If I was Leonard Cohen, I'd be pissed if they did that to my record, too. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, when you say you hate the album... I don't hate the album. No, no, not not you, but Leonard Cohen, when he says he doesn't like the album, I would assume he's separating it from the songs themselves, you know? I I would think so. On the on the song, One of Us Can't Be Wrong or Cannot Be Wrong, there's like a solo duet with whistling and then some drunk guys yelling something in the background. <laughs> In the background. It's one of my favorite parts of the record, actually. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Because there's a whistle and then also a, a flute, maybe? It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, a, like a pan flute or something in there. I actually really like that part because the guy that's like kind of howling. Right. It sounds like he could have been outside the studio bathroom window or something. And they just were like, <laughs> fuck, throw a mic oh, on that perfect. guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's, I really liked that part, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it, there's definitely like some instrumentation that, well, you know, the record as a whole is interesting, at least his songs. There's only like two songs that kind of follow the verse, chorus, verse, you know, framework. Like right. a lot of songs, there's no chorus at all. Nothing is repeated in the song. It's literally a fucking story from beginning to end um, that's put to music. You know what I mean? And so there are also, also times where weird instruments make an appearance uh, for just one, you know, like one time in the song and then don't come back in the song ever and are never heard again on the record. It's really weird. Do you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like the producer had his cousin come in. Yeah. Some buddies. 
You know what I mean? And they were yeah, like, yeah. all right, well, the union's going to give you X number of dollars. To, <laughs> you know, because that's another thing is like, they were a bunch of like New York session players. They weren't, right, yeah. wasn't anyone that, that wasn't Cohen his band. knew. Yeah. Yeah, wasn't, and he didn't have a band, you know? Yeah. He was just like down at the fucking bitter end or whatever. Right. With all the other folkies. I do wish there was some, I wish he had a Garfunkel. I'm I'm kind of okay with it, you know. Um, as yeah, I, I kind of like feel like that's saying like Bob Dylan needed a a dude singing harmonies, you know. No one could sing harmonies with Bob Dylan. Is he's too shitty, right? <laughs> like, how do you sing harmonies with this? Yeah, right. Like that's <clears throat> it's like trying to sing harmonies. To a car that's driving down the road as the pitch dies. You know what I'm talking about? What's that? What's that called? I don't know, but it's uh, it's going to be called Jamie's Sunday Afternoon because I'm going to give that a shot later on today. <laughs> <laughs> His melodies are so monotone, right? That in that way, Simon and Garfunkel get away with that stuff because one of them is always doing some counter melody stuff, and it yeah. ends up. You know, it ends up sounding like this beautiful orchestrated vocal thing because it is, um, and it's and it kind of feels like his, like on on this album, Leonard Cohen's vocal delivery, like he, not that he doesn't feel like he doesn't care, but it feels like he cares about the lyrics a lot more. That's the whole thing with him being a, a poet and a novelist and and being a, a famous musician as being his backup plan, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, Can like, you imagine? Uh, I'm a fucking... My backup plan is to be an astronaut. Did you know that? Did I ever tell you that? Uh, that your backup plan is to be an astronaut? Yeah. No. Well... I don't know that that's a good backup plan, but... <laughs> here, I, I made very few notes, but here was one that I made. Uh, it was a mental note, of course. <laughs> uh, there was... He has this line, and it's 1967, so keep this in mind. Uh, what mm-hmm. is the sexual revolution? When does, Is that the 70s or the late 60s? I think it was, you know, the summer of 69 was the summer of love or whatever, so this is before the summer of love. So this is 1967, and he says, I hey, well, embraced a number of women, and then I was embraced by a man. Is that gay really? stuff? Uh, maybe. That's a, I mean... You know, you can take that many different ways. But I thought to myself, is he singing about doing gay stuff? Because that's really <laughs> bold for 67. Yeah. Well, you get, that that's when this record was released. I mean, it may have been recorded and written in 65, 66. You know, who knows? Right. So, yeah. Well, it's like uh, the song Sisters of Mercy is about him double teaming two chicks, right? What? What? <laughs> Come on, Mike. You didn't look at the lyrics or, or listen to the lyrics? I, you know. Do you mean he gets double, like he has a threesome with two chicks or he's yeah. with another dude and, no, and no, gets oh, a chick sorry. airtight? Yeah, not double teaming a, a girl. He He's getting double teamed by two girls. Huh. So he's having sex with two girls. Well, that, that didn't sound terrible. Uh, you know what I can't imagine? I can't imagine my uncles listening to this record. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? They don't give a fuck about this record. Right. Not even if they smoke some grass. 
<laughs> you know? I, I don't know that I would have necessarily enjoyed this as a, as a kid, but I, I enjoyed it now. Um, you know, he's kind of like the, he's kind of like the dumb person's Bob Dylan to me, you know, D- listening to Dylan is exhausting because every fucking line and every fucking word is not face value. You know, there's, there's just like so much more to it. And so, which is good because you can enjoy a song late lo- for longer, probably on multiple levels and that sort of thing. Um, but as a person that just takes everything at face value, this this was a, a bit easier to swallow than um, like Bob Dylan stuff. You know, it's just like, fuck, it's exhausting. You know, you don't think that you wouldn't say this is the less pedestrian listeners, Bob Dylan. You wouldn't say that this is like. The Clove Cigarette Intellectuals, Bob Dylan? I, I think Bob Dylan is probably more intellectual than this. Although, you know, there are fucking lines in this, like an Eskimo showed me a movie that he'd recently taken of you. Like, what what the fuck does that mean? You know? <laughs> he stopped by, he went to Ding Dong Ditch and, and Igloo and the guy caught him <laughs> and was like... <laughs> Uh, another line is an ape with angel glands. Like part of me thinks there's something deeper in this. There's some deeper meaning that I'm not getting, or he's hoodwinking everyone and just writing bullshit <laughs> and everybody's trying to find meaning in it. You know, I think so. it's certainly possible. Let me just say this though. I I enjoy a couple of Bob Dylan records, but yeah. by and large, not a big fan. Of Bob Dylan? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 You know, it's funny. There are musicians out there with bad voices that it's perfect. Now, I'm thinking of Nico from uh, uh, Velvet Underground. Right. No, she sounds like a stoned fucking... <laughs> She's like super flat a bunch. And yeah. it's, fu- it's fucking perfect. It's fucking perfect. I, I love it. She's flat as shit. And it's... I, it's it's perfect. Uh, Neil Young for uh, another example of someone who just can't sing, but it's fucking perfect. You know what I mean? Bob Dylan can't sing and it's, it's not great. Uh, but he writes great songs and it, you know, it's good when people cover his songs. Right. Um, so yeah, kind of take that. Would you gift this record to anyone? You know, uh, well, I mean, I, I, I don't know that that's even a thing anymore with Spotify. Like that's just throwing your money away. You know, you've, you've never bought a vinyl record for someone and been like, Hey, I got you a record. Not in the last 15 years. Oh man. I used to buy a copy of then play on by Fleetwood Mac. Every time I saw, I'd buy every copy I saw. And then I would just, I would give, give it to someone that I thought would enjoy it. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how many people have record players anymore, uh, although that's kind of changing, you know, um, over the last few years and with reissues of records. Uh, and I will say I did give Tommy, John's kid, uh, an extra copy of Kiss Alive 2 I had for his fifth birthday. He was fucking psyched on it. Yeah, you open it up and there's the the gatefold of the, the concert, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Th- for me to buy a record and give it to somebody, it has to be a record that I love that changed my life, you know? And I like this record. I will definitely listen to it in the future, but it's not, it's not life changing for me. That's for sure. 
So I, unlike you, I did take some notes on this. Give it, give it to me. The main guitar riff on So Long Marianne sounds a lot like uh, What's Going On by Four Non Blondes. <laughs> Seriously, like if you listen to it, it's, it's towards the end of the song, um, but it's, it's totally What's Going On by Four Non Blondes. I think Suzanne's probably the best song on the record. I think Hey, There's No Way to Say Goodbye is probably the second best song on the record. Those are the two songs that I feel like I can relate to the best. Yeah. Master Song is probably the third best song on the record. And the funny thing about it is, you know, when I was looking over the lyrics, kind of circling back to what I was talking about earlier, Suzanne and There's No Way to Say Goodbye are the only two songs I think that have choruses in them. So <laughs> take that for what it's worth, you know? Right. Where did you find the lyrics at? Um, Genius.com. That's a lyrics website? Yeah, it used to be called Rap Genius, and it was it started out as a website where people would post rap lyrics, and then people would, you can click on each line of the lyrics, and off to the right is like an explanation of what the lyrics mean. No. And so it was, yeah, it's- it's Who analyzes this shit? It's, it's, it's like a Wikipedia, you know, so it's people upvoting and downvoting, you know, other people's explanations of what the lyrics mean, I think, you know, so like if everybody's like, yeah, this is what this means. That's the kind of the explanation that comes up first. Well, shit. It's a, it's a really cool website. I'm going to get in here. Yeah. Really cool website. I'm going to see if I was right about the, his, uh, his uh, gay <laughs> stuff. Oh, there you go. Oh, so I did, I did Google, uh, what was it? Uh, Leonard Cohen gay stuff. You did? <clears throat> I did. And uh, I found a forum post on leonardcohenforum.com. Did Leonard Cohen have any gay experience, maybe an affair with a man or men? Who knows? And there's a lot of postings here. I'm not going to read through them, but they did uh, call out the one song that you mentioned called Teachers. Yeah. Several girls embraced me, then I was embraced by men. Is my passion perfect? So, um, and there's, you know, a lot of people talking about that there. So, who knows? Yeah. No, uh, yeah, what the fuck do I care? It just, it was, to me, it stood out that at that time, it was a pretty straightforward lyric like if he wanted to communicate some some experiences that he had like that he, and he wanted to hide it he could have right. been a lot you know more poetic about it but that to me that read real straightforward which yeah was almost almost left the biggest impression on me of anything on the record because of the time you know if you want to hide your gay experiences just don't fucking pepper them into your songs <laughs> I mean, come right. on. Well, I'm just saying it doesn't seem like he's trying to hide anything. He's just like, yeah, I fucked right. a bunch of chicks, fucked some dudes. What yeah. about it? I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not perfect. I'm out here trying to get get a nut. I'm a squirrel. <laughs> yeah, the other interesting thing is um, how much like religious imagery is peppered into these songs. Um, there's like so many mentions about Christian, you know, Christianity, but for being a Jewish guy, there's like a ton of songs about Jesus, you know, which I thought was kind of weird. I mean, although like, you know, Jesus was the king of the Jews, but I always kind of thought that maybe he was their least favorite king. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He's my least favorite of their kings. He wasn't much of a king. 
Hey, they call him the king. They still refer to him as the king of the Jews. And I kind of feel like maybe that's to piss off the Jews. Do you think I could get away with calling my solo record King of the Jews? <laughs> because I got my I got my uh 23 and me back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, uh I'm more Jewish than I will than I am Italian and my family was always like you're Irish and Italian. Now right. shut the fuck up. And um yeah. I don't know if that's some like post World War II weirdness or yeah. If that, I don't know. I don't. I just don't understand why that would be. Mm-hmm. Why they wouldn't be like, yeah, we're fucking Polish Jews, right? You know, there, there you go. But yeah, nope. Uh, there's a lot of Spanish sounding guitars on, on this record, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. Another note I have here. <laughs> is lots of songs sound really similar, kind of like the singer-songwriter version of ACDC. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you find what works and sounds good, and you just keep fucking doing it. To be clear, I'm not making fun of that. Every one of my songs sounds exactly the same. So <laughs> find what you like, fucking stick to it. There's a reason I haven't worn anything other than a black shirt in the last 22 years. It works for me, so... You know, I I don't know if Leonard um, felt like this works for me, so I'm going to keep doing it, or he was a young songwriter at this time, or going back to the idea of he's a poet and a novelist, and this is his fucking backup. <laughs> you know, so he just kind of phoned in the the music and the and the melody portion of this. You know, so I didn't know this was strike three for him. I also didn't know he was in his thirties. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of stunned. If he was fucking 33 years old in 1967, <laughs> I mean, he only passed away a couple years ago. Yeah, like 2016, right? Yeah. He must have been 108. No. My grandma was born in 34, um, and I thought you said he was born in the 30s. And my grandma's 85, so he must have been He was in his 80s, 80. 80. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in 1967, being 33, I mean, if you're going to have homosexual experiences and and sleep with multiple women at the same time, you know, it takes a little while to rack those (laughs) credentials up, you know? So. So you're saying that if he was younger. He wouldn't have those life experiences, probably. Right. I mean, do you think Bob Dylan really hopped trains and shit? I would think so. I mean, that's not that weird. I've hopped trains. Uh, my dad hopped the train to Utah when he was 17 or something. So, I mean, Bob Dylan just doesn't strike me as the kind of person. I mean, hopping trains and being in that world is sketchy and a little dangerous. Like, you run into some fucking characters. Now, Bob Dylan doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would you know, either be able to scare someone off or carry a knife or, you know, like, well, you know, I will say out of the three people I know that have hopped trains, myself, my dad and Bob Dylan, we're all from Minnesota. So maybe there's, you know, being from Minnesota makes you want to get the fuck out of there and hopping a train is definitely good, you know, a way to do it. So I know a motherfucker from Minnesota who also was a train hopper. Yeah, dude. 
We're trying to get the fuck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Shit is rampant up there. Where where in Minnesota are you from? Uh, just north of Minneapolis, one of the suburbs. Have you have you gone to uh, Paisley Park? I have. You went. Yes. Yeah. Went. Um, not the last time I went, but the time before I went to Minnesota. So I, I was, before the whole coronavirus thing, I was going three times a year uh, yeah. to visit my grandma and check up on her. So, but yeah, I went and it was amazing. Everyone who's even a, you know, pedestrian Prince fan, I uh, should do it. It's incredible. So have you gone? Two, no, two years ago I was there and I couldn't bring myself to do it because I knew that it, that Prince didn't want that to happen. Well, here's the thing. It's not like they brought us into his bedroom or his actual living quarters. They brought us into Paisley Park, the recording studio, the rooms where he would have concerts and film videos and shit like that. So, you know, everywhere we went had been trampled through by the public for years and years. It was just who was lucky enough to get invited. You know what I mean? So I I, I don't feel like we're in invading on some kind of personal space. And secondly, he's fucking dead. Like, you know, it's not like he's in heaven going, Oh, right. Get out of my house. You know, I mean, that's, he's gone, you know? So fuck it. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, fuck it. I paid, you know, and, and also I would think, you know, as a musician, one thing you want to do is bring happiness to other people through your music and whatever. And people who are Prince fans being able to go to, Paisley Park brings them a lot of happiness and closer to the music, you know? Right. I mean, to see the, the, the Horner Telecaster that was in Purple Rain, fucking incredible, dude. Right. Like, you know, it's, it, that's the one thing that kills me about Purple Rain is everybody talks about that fucking cloud guitar. He only plays it for a few minutes at the end. The whole rest of the movie is playing that Horner, that Telecaster. Wait a minute, he plays Matt the had. cloud guitar in Purple Rain? Uh, yeah. I thought he only played... The Telecaster. At the, when he, I think when he plays the song Purple Rain, he's playing the cloud guitar. No. Yeah. The white one that, uh, that uh, Apollonia buys for him. Because that's a plot point in the movies that he wants that guitar, remember? I don't... Why am I blanking this? Dude. <laughs> Is it like in a window? Is it one of these things where he looks at through a window display longingly yep. and then yep. someone buys it for him? Yeah, she's like, do you want that? And he uh, doesn't say anything and he runs away or whatever. And then he, he was a real crybaby bitch in that oh, movie. Oh, yeah, he's a total bitch in that movie. Uh, you know, and so one of the things is she starts Apollonia 6 with Morris Day and she makes some money doing their little like show or whatever. And she makes some money and she buys the cloud guitar for Prince. And then he finds out, he's like, where'd you get this money? And she's like, I got it from being in, you know, doing the sex shooter song or whatever and then he's like super pissed right yeah it's like a major plot point of the movie but i mean here's the thing i think that's a that's a punk move on his part she was not doing anything wrong he wears a i mean a year later he was wearing some sort of a fucking spanish influenced half shirt scenario and you know and by all accounts, his his onstage character was slutty. Yeah. Well, you know, 
I mean, if she was getting getting down with Morris Day, that would be one thing. But she wasn't in the movie, right? Well, in in on planet Earth, uh, you know, it's generally considered for it to be shameful for women to be sexually promiscuous and you know boastful for men to be sexually promiscuous you know um so it's okay for him right of course to to act slutty and be slutty but not okay for her you know which i you know i got news i got news for his character if she was not sexually open and active he'd have never fucking dipped his toe into lake minnetonka if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, that wasn't like Minnetonka. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that wasn't his toe. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, if she thought it was his toe, there's other problems. Yeah. I hope that we can talk about Kiss and Prince in every episode. Oh, no I'm matter sure we will. No matter what album we're reviewing. I'm sure we will. Well, to, here's one thing about this Leonard Cohen record. And for whatever reason, I judge records this way. And it's ridiculous because I haven't thrown a party in years. You know, like hosted a party at the house where, you know, I had a programmed playlist or was DJing. Because in two houses I've lived in, I've had two turntables and a mixer set up either to a stereo or a PA. And would would DJ parties. Yeah. And... uh. There's not a single song on this record that would be appropriate for any kind of party. Not even a fucking awake. You know, like nothing. Like this is, this is, it was a little bit of a labor to listen to it at work because I I need things to, to motivate me. Not that I need all my music to be party music per se, you know, but... This is like Sunday morning, uh, you know, doing a crossword and drinking coffee music. And and no other scenario in my life is this record appropriate. I would say at a swingers party, Sisters of Mercy would probably fit right in. Um, you know, because it's about having sex with two strange girls. But... Uh, yeah, you know. I mean, if you were at a swingers party, you'd put that on and not fucking super freak. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, maybe it's a caring swingers party. <laughs> right. It's an intellectual. You know, not every not every record needs to be for a you know, as a party record. I mean, right. I love Thelonious Monk. I'll put on, you know, Monk's Dream, uh, but I would never play that stuff at a at a party, yeah. you know. It just, you know, it depends on the mood. I, you know, I, I feel like this record was good for, you know, playing it in the kitchen when I'm making breakfast or when I'm unwinding at the end of the day, it's a nice, um, record to listen to. So, uh, you know, one, one thing that I wanted to be sure to touch on that it's always interesting to me that people, people writing songs about fictional things you know? Right. Um, like my friends always drill me about my song meetings so I can never write fiction. And, and the songs I write are so dark. No one ever believes it's fiction anyways. Right. (laughs) You know, and and I I would, I would love to be able to have a a fictional song because that would open up so much more, um, lyrical content for me. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the nice thing that, that he's able to do in this, that, 
myself as a songwriter has never been able to do. And then, you know, another thing that I was thinking about while we were listening to this record is, is it weird to write songs about girls and even like name the song after a girl? And then later on. Right. Because those are real women that he had relationships with. Right. And so, you know, you have this song, Suzanne or whatever, and you're talking about how much she means to you and, and that sort of thing. And then later on, you're in a different relationship and <laughs> your current wife or significant other comes to your show and you're crooning about some girl, some other girl. Like, is that weird? And, and also there's multiple songs about multiple different girls on this album. Like, how is that? Well, he was a bit of a ladies man, wasn't he? Yeah. Did, was he ever married? I don't know. I think his Wikipedia page said that he had like some long-term relationships, but I, I don't remember if it said he was married. I mean, if anyone is listening to this, they're like screaming, why don't you just look at his Wiki oh, yeah, page totally. or there or some fucking super <laughs> fan Googled Leonard, you know, gets a notification every time someone farts out a Leonard Cohen thing and they, they <laughs> are listening. If they're still listening, whatever. I'm sure, I'm sure we're the two most hated people by the, the Cohenites or what, you know, don't they... care. I, you know, I don't <laughs> dislike it at all, but it's just not a, a, it's not in my top hundred albums. That's for sure. I'll take no. Simon and Garfunkel over this any day. Yeah. I'm not a big Simon and Garfunkel guy. Oh, are you fucking kidding me? What the fuck is wrong with you? Nope. I, I here, here's the thing about Simon and Garfunkel and, and some other, you know, big bands from the seventies, my dad was, was someone, well, yeah, 60s, you know, classic rock, whatever. I wasn't the biggest fan of my dad. And so I kind of rebelled against him and him was a lot of, uh, classic rock, you know? So, uh, Zeppelin and stuff like that. Like I did not get it, did not care for it, would not listen to it for the longest time. It wasn't until I heard Zeppelin one that I was like, Oh, really? You know, because Zeppelin one is Zeppelin one isn't what they play on the radio. They play Zeppelin four, and it's just like I associate that shit with like my dad. You know right. what I mean? And so it's bad associations. But when I heard Zeppelin one, I was like, "Holy fuck!" Which softened me up to listen to Zeppelin two and Zeppelin four and that sort of thing. What about Jim Croce? Jim Croce did not associate with my dad. I fucking love Jim Croce. I cry almost every time I hear him sing. Oh God, dude! Well, the the great the great thing about Jim Croce is he did this thing that's almost impossible, which is write joke songs and write you know tearjerker songs and put them together, you, you, like on the same record. Like, don't mess around with Jim. Oh yeah, don't piss into the wind. <laughs> All yeah, this you know, on one end of it, and then the other end of the spectrum is I got a name. You know what I mean? Like. Right. It's fucking, he's like the jokiness of Weezer with the seriousness of, you know, whatever serious band. Um, yeah, I, lo I love Jim Croce. But John Prine also did that. Who, John Prine? Yeah. John Prine, incredible. And I guess people are probably like, why the fuck are you guys talking about these other, <laughs> why, are you, why are you talking about, aren't you fucking reviewing Leonard Cohen, songs of Leonard Cohen? Yeah, kinda. We're also fucking dumping on it. Here's, I think that, fuck, <laughs> here's the thing. I think Jim Croce, I think John Prine, I think fucking Paul Simon, I think fucking Bon Scott, all those guys were 
at least uh, in the context of this record, better lyricists. Uh, and I maybe maybe that upsets some people. And guess what? Don't care. I think us reviewing this record and talking about other people, you know, music doesn't, life doesn't exist in a vacuum, you know? Right. And, and so he's going to get compared and contrasted with other things that Mike and I, as music, uh, people that appreciate music, like, uh, and also as musicians. So yeah, of course he's going to be compared to other things. As far as, you know, Bon and, and all those guys being better lyricists, you know, it really depends on what you're looking for. These songs uh, probably have a lot more deeper meaning or a lot more intellectual than uh, you're saying old it's, school ACDC. You're saying it's beyond but, my capacity? No, but, you know, sometimes you, you just want to hear that he's got the biggest balls of them all. <laughs> and you want to scream that out your car windows. You're throwing empty beer cans at people. It all just depends, uh, you know, on your mood and, and, and that sort of thing. So I think there's a right album for, for different times. And, and, you know, to me, music, there's only two kinds of music to me. It's, there's good and there's bad. Right. You know, I love Coltrane and Thelonious Monk. I love Slayer and Public Enemy and Minor Threat and Kiss and ACDC, you know, all of it so much. And, and so just because this is like singer songwriter or was from the sixties or is more intellectual than, than some other stuff. I, I still enjoy it. You know, I think that that was probably one of the other things that turned me off of this, from this record in the nineties. And as a young man, I definitely had a chip on my shoulder. I hadn't, I hadn't really found the place where I was comfortable with myself or comfortable being me and etc for a billion reasons and so i was this fucking country you know trailer raised hick uh went to the marine corps and then ended up in seattle up on capitol hill uh which is you know the at that time the most progressive neighborhood in all of seattle which is you know by and large a, a progressive city mm-hmm. and you know Everything seemed like a chat. Like, I just had, I just thought, like, oh, I don't, if I didn't like something, instead of just being like, eh, I'm not really into it, I, it's, I took it personally and thought, well, what is it about this that I don't get? Like, maybe I don't get it because I'm a dumb hick, you know? Right. And back then, <laughs> I think that's how I felt about this record. And mm-hmm. now that I'm a lot more comfortable with who I am, I don't necessarily feel <laughs> entirely different about it, but I do enjoy it a lot more because since then I've found Nick Cave. And Nick Cave also not the greatest singer. Mm-hmm. But spins a pretty good yarn, turns out. Right? And uh, also loves Leonard Cohen. Go figure. He's got a, you know... He's a little more bombastic at times, but similar right. delivery. Like his last five records have been beautiful, but they're you know he's on a same 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 kind of a plane right now. I'm not. I yeah. I I know who Nick Cave is, and I have a lot of friends that are super fans. I've never listened to him. 
Is that I don't right? Know anything about him? Yeah, don't know anything about him. Well, I'll tell you everything you need to know about him. <laughs> he sings like oh, a drunk uncle at a wedding karaoke party. You know? Yeah. But, but in a baritone. Um, and, you know, has a lot of, he's, he, a lot of dark songs. Yeah. And there you go. His band is fucking dynamite. Like, if you go see them live, uh, which I've seen them half a dozen times, you will definitely leave happy. Not necessarily like, oh boy, that was positive and I'm so happy about the music. You just leave like definitely moved, you know? I get the sense that if you saw Leonard Cohen perform live with a band, you would feel the same way. I, I, I did actually see Leonard Cohen. I saw him 10 years ago, like you know, two months ago. It was like the 10th, really? 10th anniversary of me seeing him. Yeah. We took my uh, father-in-law, my wife's dad, Ken, uh, out for, I think it was his 60th birthday, uh, to see Leonard Cohen. I had a very, very limited knowledge of Leonard Cohen going into it. You know, I, I, I think I, I knew the song Chelsea Hotel number two which I thought was a fucking great song. So when I, you know, Jen was like, Hey, you want to go with me to take my dad to this? I was like, yeah. And we went and it was fantastic. And I literally, I knew none of the songs, you know, except for that one and had a great time and wouldn't consider myself a fan per se, but I, I really enjoyed myself. And so when this album came up that we were going to review, I was like, yeah, fuck. Uh, I, I want to listen to it. You know, this will give me an excuse to listen to it. So um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's, it's funny that I'm a big fan of the Mike Squires Zen-ness, <laughs> you know, uh, and a lot of times when I feel myself kind of fucking flying off the handle about something, I think, you know, Mike wouldn't freak out about this. Why am I freaking out about this? I, I, I try to kind of apply the Squires Zen-ness to my life because, you know, you seem really happy and who doesn't want to be happy? So it's surprising to me to hear you say basically not like this record, <laughs> you know? Well, it's, it's for exactly the reasons that I just said, because it doesn't connect to me and it makes me feel in the way that you, and, and in a way you said the same thing, but used different words. You're like, it sounds like fake intellectualism. Half of it. I don't know that it's fake. I, I think it's it's intellectualism, but less than uh, Bob Dylan. So it's it's easier for a lay person uh, like my you know a fucking high school dropout like myself to <laughs> get behind than a, than a Dylan tune where nothing is at face value. You know what I mean? Right. And so this, you know, I mean, it's pretty obvious he's talking about two girls in his bed. Like, hey, I'm a fucking shitbag from Coon Rapids, Minnesota. Uh, you know what? When I was still a virgin, it was the only time where I had uh, what I clearly... Because I was a real dipshit. Yeah. I couldn't read a situation, and I was terrified of girls. But I slept in a bed with two girls who later told me that they both would have done... had a three-way with me. But I was, <laughs> I was just too dumb you know, too fumbly and yeah. too nervous and had no confidence. But maybe I'd have written a shitty song. 
<laughs> about it. So what do we do? What do we grade it? Are we going to grade this on like a, a, a percentage? Like, or, or are we going to give it letter grades? Or are we going to do stars? What are we going to do? I feel like uh, I feel like us grading Leonard Cohen is like a travesty. You know? No way. I think it's totally legit. Uh, who the fuck are we to give this song? It's our this fucking album? show. That's true. I will grade anyone. <laughs> you know, if if there is a lot of negative feedback to this podcast from the Cohen heads, or yeah, what would they be called? The Cohen heads. That'd be a good name for his fans. Uh, if there's a lot of uh, of negative feedback to this uh, out, uh, podcast, you should call the record "Songs of Leonard Cohen." Oh, <laughs> uh, double down on pissing off the Coneheads. I love so. it. You know, see, this is why you're my partner. <laughs> we gotta figure of course you know this all goes without saying you know just just because this is my opinion and just because whatever wrong opinion that disagrees with mine that you share doesn't mean that millions of people can't <laughs> enjoy this fucking b minus record yeah you know what i fucking i take it back c plus <laughs> Seriously, C plus. You should have kept your mouth shut when you uh, when the, you had the chance, Leonard. C now plus. You fucking lowered your grade. That's what I do, and you know, thank you for giving me some resistance and the and the boldness to reconsider, Jamie. <laughs> uh, I don't know about a letter grade, but what I will say is, I you know, I enjoy listening to this record. It's fine. Will I ever listen to it again? Now that I have a hojillion other things on Spotify I can listen to? Probably not. If it comes on, I wouldn't necessarily change it, but I, I, I can't see myself searching it out to listen to it again. Sounds like a solid C to me. Take that for whatever it is. It you sounds know. like there's a just C. So, there's so many other, sure, a C. I mean, there's just so many other things I would rather listen to. So Right, like Simon and Garfunkel. Ah, oh, fucking, oh, for fuck's sake. I hate Paul Simon for turning Carrie Fisher into a fucking coke whore. That's, I, th I think that's a lot of it. It's just like, he ruined, I just feel like he ruined my perfect angel. And uh, yeah, fuck that guy. All right. It should give me solace that she, she married Paul Simon and I'm better looking than Paul Simon. So <laughs> in theory, I, I could have had a shot. So, so yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. All right. <laughs> so between my C plus and your C, you graded it lower than I did. You told, you said it was a C. You said that my grade was a C. I, I, I think I enjoyed this record more than you did. No, here's what you said. You said, I, you're like, I don't feel good about giving it a letter grade, but... I would rather listen to anything else in the whole world. That is not true. That's basically what you said. I said there are, there are, there is so, so I don't get to listen to music as much as I'd like to for a number of reasons. So when I am willing to sit down and listen to music, there's a lot of stuff I would rather listen to than this. 
Not that this is a bad album, not that I didn't enjoy it, not that I wouldn't listen to it again. And I genuinely believe I liked this record way more than you did. But considering how much stuff out there... Oh, I didn't realize you smoked opium. You know what? Did Leonard Cohen ever have a, <laughs> did Leonard Cohen <laughs> ever have a heroin problem? Because he... You would, he, he, it sure sounds like it. Like, I mean, he seems like. None of his lyrics point in that direction, but he's such a somber dude. Like, yeah, there's no good time. There's no me and Julio down by the schoolyard here. You know, that is a good song. I like that song. Oh, it's fucking great. <laughs> all of the, I mean, that's Paul Simon, but all those Simon and Garfunkel songs are fucking great, dude. I implore you to go back. I honestly, you know what, if, if we do ever review, um, any Simon and Garfunkel stuff, I will, I will genuinely listen to it and try to have an open mind about it. Uh, I, I think I, I honestly, I, I think I have a, an objection to Paul Simon. Well, for two reasons. One is, uh, just the fucking world music stuff. Oh God, there's nothing I hate more than world music. Actually, that's not true, but I really fucking hate world music. It's just, yeah. oh, it's so bad. Uh, and, and, and the fact that he turned Carrie Fisher into Cokehor, like I, I can't get past it. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Okay. So this album, it gets a C, a collective C between us. C plus yeah. and a C. That's fine. It's, you know, <laughs> kids, listen, kids. Sounds like a ringing endorsement. What do you guys think of this record? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Listen, if you want to if you want to have a if you want to have a drug habit that your parents, you know, will immediately identify before they even see the physical signs, just listen to this on your way to school. They'll know you're popping pills and you're depressed. And smoke clove cigarettes. Yeah. What I love about this format is we asked everyone, what is your absolute favorite record from each right. of these decades and then you know that there's someone out there that this is their favorite record from this time period and you can either be like eh. can you imagine who put this record in their in their list as their favorite record of that decade because we mostly just shat on it and that person is pissed, <laughs> you know, sorry, I'm sorry. That's a good point. Yeah. I didn't even think about you know? that. How did we, was there two votes for this record? Um, I have no idea. I don't even see it on the list anymore. Maybe we can find a record store to, to sponsor an ad. Yeah. I Eventually, I, like an indie or an online record store or something. Yeah. You know? God, would people... Which sounds kind of funny because half the records were going to shit on them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe not. Hey, don't buy this record from Co-op Records in Moline, Illinois. Right. Or, hey, I thought this sucked, but what the fuck do I know? I'm just a genius. <laughs> if... <laughs> Maybe you're... There's the there's the intro for the podcast right there. I'm just a genius. But maybe your <laughs> inferior opinion uh, will allow you to enjoy listening to this record. And if that's the case, go buy it here. Hey, I got a tagline for the end. Leonard Cohen, songs of Leonard Cohen, you got to see. And see ya, wouldn't want to see ya. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all you cone heads. <laughs> <laughs>